Yo, what is up, ladies, gentlemen, DJs, and frogs? I'm Rogatachi here, happy to present to you the very first episode of the much anticipated podcast, Goodwill Yunting, presented by Yunt Capital. I want to take a second to give a quick shout out to our sponsor, Portfolio Shocker. Listen to the end of the episode to find out how you can get a free Portfolio Shocker. Goodwill Yunting is the crypto podcast for DGENs by DGENs. We are here not with financial advice, but to offer a Goodwill Alpha on the best cracks and crevices to look under to find the best crypto projects so you can yunt your merry heart out. Various members of Yunt Capital will hop on each episode to explore crypto and DeFi topics. Using our numerous areas of expertise and by bringing on big-brained guests, we aim to help you stay one step ahead of this crazy market. Today, we're going to be talking about one of the hottest, most intriguing, and in my opinion, one of the more complex protocols in DeFi right now, Olympus DAO. I'm lucky enough to have two of the biggest big brains joining me today with Fiscantes, aka Papa Fisk, a meme master, a Twitter lord, and an investor in Olympus DAO. Alongside me, we have our very own Young Capital executive chef, Jala. He is our resident OM expert. Welcome to both of you. Hello. Nice to be here. Same. Thank you very much for the kind words. Good to be here. So... Uh, I think we should start with just a brief intro to who you are, what's your background in the crypto space, word on the street, Fisk, is that you are a pro poker player and are an adventurer of sorts. Maybe you can talk about that and then how that led you into crypto. Um, got it. Um, so, yeah, I, I used to play poker for a living and you know, the path from poker to crypto was pretty straightforward. The community around online poker was always very speculative we were early in a lot of different things that uh, you know uh, happened online um with crypto it was very very pragmatic we were actually you know trying to find some new poker rooms to play on and some of these were in asia and they accepted bitcoin um so this is how we started it wasn't really anything about like speculate speculation or anything about ideology behind cryptocurrencies it was just you know trying to find greener pastures for us to to exploit casual players. And, you know, <laughs> some of these online poker rooms in Asia were pretty juicy. Um, but, you know, they kind of, they were evading some of the local laws. So they were using cryptocurrencies as their sole method of uh, payment. So this is how we learned how to use them. Like it was, I think it was like 2012 or 13. Wow, that's nuts. Well, I, I didn't really, I mean... I didn't really keep uh, keep any cryptocurrencies uh, from that time. I had some, like, I don't know, maybe like 20 or 16 or something Bitcoin on a one poker room, uh, which then like was closed and I never saw uh, my Bitcoin again. So that's rough. <laughs> yeah. Um, so then I, I mean, I, I, I remember, I vaguely remember I tried to mine Bitcoin as well to no avail. I used my laptop and at that point it was like no good. Um, other than that, yeah, I was traveling a lot around the world. And yeah, even now, like, I'm in a hotel lobby right now, so it may be a bit uh, noisy from time to time. So, yeah, my, my kind of wanderlust is always here to, to push me forward. And during, during COVID, it was, it was pretty challenging to stay put on one, on one spot. So, yeah, um, playing poker and traveling, this was like my life for at least five years. 
I actually dropped out of college to do that. Um, and then I kind of tried to, uh, after poker, which got pretty boring for me uh, lately, I started to look for another businesses and other venues, investments I could make. I, I lost a lot of money investing in different real world startups before I like, kind of circled back to crypto in like late 2016. Um, so yeah, and then, you know, the fun started with ICO boom 2017 and the rest is history. Wow. Yeah, that is a, a really interesting path into crypto, but that makes sense. What about you, Ja? I have a much more uh, traditional, uh, boring path, um, you know, background in finance and, and economics, um, you know, work in, in, in TradFi. I got into crypto pretty much at the top in 2017. So didn't make any money in that run. Um, but, you know, got into it, started to learn. It immediately clicked for me as something that I was interested in. Um, and then, you know, wasn't as involved over the bear run, much to my chagrin, but had some vestigial follows on Twitter that I, you know, monitored and started hearing about DeFi Summer, all the different food groups um, piqued my interest. So I really jumped back into things um, this, this past fall, and I thought I had missed the whole thing. I thought I missed this whole <laughs> DeFi thing. Let me learn about it a little bit, and I'll be ready for the next big thing. Um, obviously, didn't miss it. And you know, basically, for the last six to nine months, I've really dived in pretty deep, uh, trying to learn as much as possible, and just have found a home in, in a few communities, and I've learned a lot about the, the protocols and the space. Um, made a few friends along the way. So it's, it's been a really fun uh, last like nine months at uh, educational and, you know, made a little bit of money along the way, but uh, it's really about the friends, right? Oh, of course. Of course. Let's, uh, let's talk about how we found out about Olympus um, because it's, it's such a unique protocol. Fisk, do you want to start? How did you find out about Olympus? What drew you to the project? What made you say like, oh, this is something I want to invest in? Okay, uh, so do you want me to tell you the uh, long version or the short one? Ooh, uh, long version. Okay, well, brace for impact. I mean, <laughs> uh, it will be pretty boring, maybe. So, I mean, wh when, I, when I got back into crypto in 2016, uh, late 2016, I was first like just speculating. Then I did some arbitrages and all this stuff. You, do, you don't really need to know anything about crypto to, to do these things. You just need to kind of understand how markets work and you know what what price difference between exchanges uh, means and you know how to how to close the gap so i started to do this kind of thing but then i got more and more interested in, in like why people find these things valuable and i got into this ideologically driven crowd of uh, cypherpunks and hackers uh, that were really into the you know the uh, technology behind uh, behind cryptocurrencies and the ideals that should you know propel these into adoption, like decentralization, privacy. So, you know, I, I was bullish on Monero, Bitcoin, um, Ethereum as well with smart contracts and all this, all this like decentralized uh, financial system and other systems that could be built on top because I believe that, you know, we should escape um, like government um, surveillance. We should escape the power of central banks. Um, and fiat money in general. So I subscribed to all that. So I was pretty ideologically driven all of a sudden, like from 2017. So you were um, in it for the tech at that point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for the tech and for the for the like resistance, let's say, right? Right, right. The, the rebellion against the empire. <laughs> um, 
I really subscri subscribe to this thesis that Bitcoin, you know, should replace fiat currencies and then, you know, it should be decentralized and it should be private or Modero should be, should be here for us uh, to keep our privacy um, when it comes to our finance. Um, and I really, I mean, th there were stable coins at that point. I didn't really like them. I kind of felt like they are super bad um, investment or bad because, you know, you, you have asymmetric um, downside risk. You, you cannot really win when you hold them, right? You, you are still like, you know, you are holding a dollar, which is your best case scenario. And the worst case scenario is that, you know, uh, they will be obliterated by some regulation or by some like, you know, they will lose back for some reason. Mm -hmm. So you are holding an asset that is basically a ticking bomb. Either you, you are, you know, you are flat or you are going down. So I didn't really like them. And everybody was super excited about stable coins and they started to get big, right? And then like DeFi summer came and, it was the time where stable coins really started to do something interesting, which is like earn yield for you. And you know, the, the yield was actually like pretty crazy sometimes. And it started to make sense to hold stable coins more and more. And they quickly became, became a really like big thing. One of the biggest like assets in, in crypto, even now, like I think they amount to more than hundred billion dollars uh, TVL or even more, um, which started being the biggest with like, 60 billion dollars, I guess. Um, so, so yeah, I, I like kind of switched my focus and started to use stablecoins more and more. But you know, I was still kind of, you know, I was really careful with them, and uh, I, I wasn't, I wasn't really too happy about abandoning this like vision of of different kind of money, the new kind of money that we can create together without needing to rely on these central banks and mm -hmm. like entities that have power over fiat. Um, and, and we were seeing like things like Bitcoin and Ethereum, they behaved very well, like in a very volatile manner all the time, even if they were really big, like Bitcoin is bigger than like a lot of small nation state fiat currencies, but it's still much more volatile. Um, so for, for a lot of purposes, it wasn't really suitable when you wanted to interact with the real world. So I was kind of still looking for other things that could, that could kind of become this new sort of currency, um, maybe even backed by something like Bitcoin, but, but something that could be more stable for day-to-day -day use and for like long-term planning. Um, and I actually wrote a Twitter thread about, um, about downfalls of stable coins and how we shouldn't focus on them too much because they can, you know, they, they, they are a toxic asset that eventually can be regulated or, you know, there can be some crackdown on, on them if they grow big enough. Um, and this, like, nobody from Twitter uh, commented on it. He was, his nickname was used, you know, he had like 50 followers or so. And it was like, you know, he was like super anon and like total nobody. And he was like, I'm actually building something that's, you know, that's, that's trying to solve what, what uh, the problems you are describing. So, you know, I DM'd him and we started to talk. He, he showed me his, his draft of his document. Uh, which was basically at that time it it was it it, it was supposed to be backed by Bitcoin on Ethereum, so it, mm. it wasn't really Olympus as we know it today. But it you know it, something was there, and I was actually pretty interested in that. And we had multiple back and forths with Zeus, and you know then we basically invested in in him and his like idea, uh, despite the fact we didn't even know his real name, there was no legal entity, there was no contract, you know, apart from a smart contract. 
and yeah, we were. I think we were the first money in, or one of the first. Um, and yeah, then basically he started to work really fast to uh, to deliver, and I was actually quite surprised how fast he went from the first draft, which was kind of rugged and like there were a lot of holes in it, uh, through like several iterations until the point when like, Olympus had a community, had a, had a pre-sale uh, for Discord members, and suddenly there was this asset that actually worked and we could play with it. It was, it was like, I was quite surprised um, how fast he delivered and how, how fast he could iterate the ideas to make them better. So yeah, that's, that's the long version. I'm glad I went with the long version. That was really interesting. I like that that journey there from starting of basically uh, talking shit about stable coins on Twitter to now investing in one of the most ambitious uh, stable coin projects. And the way you connected with Zeus, I mean, that's so crypto, right? Just not even knowing the person, uh, not caring who he is, what he's done before, but seeing an idea you that resonates with you and just building off that i love that well yeah i mean to be honest to be honest um i actually i i did some background checking on him of course i didn't really care about his like real world identity or his name or anything but i actually asked him if there are any people i could ask who are maybe more reputable in the space who could vouch for him and he pointed me to rari capital guys because he uh he worked with them um so i asked jay and uh, other guys from Rari Capital, I just wrote them like, do you know this guy? Is he like full of shit or is he actually? No, and they were all like, you know, they individually answered me like, this guy is one of the smartest guys we know and he's definitely legit and, you know, they can, they can vouch for him. So that, I mean, that was, that was my due diligence on Zeus. And I never asked his real name, even though he, he offered me that he can dox uh, himself if, if I want. I never really pushed him to do that and I don't care to this day. I, I, I gotta say that's that's pretty scary now to think that Zeus is sixteen. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I, I don't want to say how old he is, but he is definitely much younger than he appears and much younger than his voice sounds. That's that's one thing I can say. <laughs> that's that's pretty awe inspiring. Absolutely. What about you, Ja? How did uh, you find about, find out about the project, and and what do you what drew you into it? So I, I think I started getting interested in, in stable coins um, as an investment opportunity when, when you know Faye was announced, and I read about it a little bit, and I said, you know what, this is this is a space that I should look into. Um, it just seems like there's an interesting uh, economics, and it would be fun to play around with these. Like I, I came a little bit later, so I missed. I miss the early uh, the fun Ponzonomics of some of the other algo stables, and I, I wanted to jump in. Um, so I, I put that aside, and I never came back to it. And then um, I followed this guy, Fiscantes, on Twitter, whom I discovered um, through his counterpoints to the uh, SBF uh, sushi proposal. And I, I thought those they had a pretty thoughtful response, and I decided to you know toss him a follow. Then he decided he, he he dropped a little, you know he had a nice thread on on Alpha which he ended with Olympus DAO so I said you know let me check this thing out um, again I said you know oh this is exactly what I want to be looking into I put it aside for a few days and finally I sat down and decided all right like I need to get into this um, read the docs got into the Discord was super interested uh, Zeus was awesome you know especially still uh, inter- like in terms of interacting with the community, but it was awesome early in those days, just explaining every aspect 
um, in the technical aspects of the bonds. Um, you know, I compared it to just, this is a geeky way to do it, to compare uh, geeky comparison, but just going to office hours in college, if you're willing to spend the time, the professor will give you the answers. And so um, mm. I, I got to sit with Professor Zeus and, and learn about the protocol early on. Um, and what really struck me, aside from like the, the bold vision, um, which did resonate with me, was I just love the idea of this this drawn out genesis period where and we can get into the details about like the protocol control value and, and and how the protocol works but in general it just struck me that it was awesome that they were allowing the early backers to participate in the profit generation for this for this drawn out genesis period right, right. and when you're trying to accomplish something as bold as you know a new currency um you need really strong economic incentives with like a, a, a to align a massive group of people to make that happen. So that really uh, is, is what drew me in um, and started the whole thing. Awesome. So it's funny then, I'm like Viscontes' like grandchild when it comes to Ohm because you found out about it through him and I had found out about it. Well, I think you're yeah probably one of the earliest people who told me about it and showed me on it, but I was just... I wasn't quite convinced. Uh, it sounded a little too good to be true. I mean, a hundred thousand API, APY, like that's nonsensical, right? <laughs> like just any other protocol, you would just be like, okay, this is Ponzi, this is a trap. But when I really got to talk with you in voice and, and talk it over for a while, you really uh, helped me understand the complexities of the protocol and, and what makes it so special. That's funny that we've all come together now, and uh, basically we wouldn't be here without Fisk. That's why we, that's why we call him Papa. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's actually like it's kind of funny. Like my partners in Z Prime Capital and some other people as well, just kind of um, they they tell me a lot that uh, I spend too much time on Twitter, just fucking around and not doing anything productive. And I actually think that you know being on Twitter is something that made me the most money in the space and and the best connections. So, yeah, and, you know, this, this effect which you, which you just described is the result of that as well. Yeah, we appreciate it, man. Now, we've danced around the topic. Let's, let's dive right into it. What is Olympus and Ohm at its core? I mean, we've, we've said it's an algo stable coin. Can you guys break down how it aims to achieve this um, and how it may differ from a protocol like Faye that we've seen? Um, I'm happy to kick it off um, and uh, then, then uh, pass the baton. Ohm is part of this, this class of algo stables um, that, that, we've, that we've alluded to. It's not pegged to um, any currency. Um, that, you know, many that are, are pegged to the USD. Uh, so along with Rye and Flow, I mean, there, I'm sure there are others and there will be others. Um, that's, like, that's the current class. Um, and the the key to understand with with Ohm and Olympus Dow, and I want to get into like I want to separate those two, is is that it is backed by uh, Dai today, but it is not pegged to anything. And you asked how it, it can achieve a floating peg. Um, in, in this phase, there's there's really no attempt to, uh, to achieve stability. The phase right now is like I, like I called it is a, is a drawn out genesis phase where uh, the, the protocol is optimizing for supply growth and profit growth uh, to grow the protocol. And eventually, um, it can flip a switch through various mechanisms 
to uh, achieve stability at some peg that the market determines. Um, in, in, in comparison to Fay, and I'm not an expert on Fay, but I think the way it's been described is that Fay cares is going to use their protocol controlled value to maintain price but not supply, right? And um, right now, we don't care about price, but care we care about supply in this moment. So if if I can jump in and like I will provide a bit of uh, a different perspective, like more like broad strokes and, and high level. Um, For sure. So I kind of think of Olympus DAO as like first actively managed central bank with its own like uh, independent currency in, in blockchain space, which is mm. it's, it's very different from all the other stuff around. Like if, if we talk about, I don't know, stable coins, like, which are packed to the amount, uh, sorry, the, the value of dollar, they all just uh, figured out their monetary policy. They just, you know, outsource it to Fed. You know, they, they are saying whatever Fed is doing with dollar is okay. And we just want to track that. And it's, it's easy and everybody is on board with that because everybody is used to dollars, right? So it's, it's like very simple for, for every normie to understand what's going on. But at the same time, you know, it's still like, you know, it has these downsides of, you know, being anchored to something that's, you know, that has very different political goals and, and there is a different power structure around it. And you just kind of, you are tethered to it, so to speak. Um, and, and then there is something like Bitcoin with, where everything is hard coded. You know, there will be only 21 million Bitcoins. You know, uh, there are miners who secure it and that's about it. And, you know, there, there are some transaction fees and we don't really mess with anything. And then in between, there is something like Ethereum, which is like very similar to Bitcoin, but there are some ways you can adjust the supply, and like with Ape one five five nine. And but but Olympus DAO is like explicitly saying, you know, we want to give the power uh, over these levers to the community, and we want to try to achieve different goals in uh, different stages of the of the project to kind of to morph into this like independent, blockchain-driven, decentralized, people-controlled asset that can be, uh, like, in, in a first phase, it is a bootstrapping asset that will make, uh, hopefully, some of us rich um, because there is a lot of upside, and this is the upside is what uh, would attract a lot of people early on. Um, and the other thing is that when we are big enough, we will transit uh, into a state where we try to make this, make this currency more stable or, like, stable enough to conduct... Uh, long-term uh, feasible economic activity with um, and whatever we define as being stable we will try to pursue with various uh, um, levers and, and policies we can we can adjust and test in practice um, so it's like I think it's every economist's wet dream um, a financial economist's wet dream to have this kind of real world experiment to play with and I, I, I can even imagine a lot of uh, Olympus DAO forks uh, which will be uh, forked because different kind of groups or people, economies will have different idea on how this like currency should be actively managed. So this would be also interesting to see. Other than that, I, I would I would zoom out even more, and I would say that there are like uh, two types of crypto projects, like from like very broad perspective. One is asset oriented, and the other is uh, product oriented. So when when we when we say product oriented, we mean everything that kind of doesn't care as much about the asset uh, as about you know the product or service and or, or something that it facilitates like decentralized exchanges yield farms yield aggregators 
Uh, these are all like products, and you can use various assets within these products. You can exchange them. You can you can use them to uh, generate yield via lending, etc. Um, and these products are like asset agnostic. You could put any token in them, and they could work. Um, this is like almost all the DeFi on top of Ethereum. It, it's like product driven. It's not asset driven. And then you have like asset driven projects, which are all about you know the asset, its price. Its dynamics, its supply, and how it behaves, and and how is it useful for us? So, Bitcoin is clearly an asset-driven project. Like there is nothing more than like these like numbers, which are which represent bitcoins or satoshis, and they have different value. We can trade them, we can mine them, and, and that's about it. And it's all about you know how the supply is inelastic versus uh, you know the demand, which should grow in time, and versus the fees that that are like function of you know the the volume. Uh, which happens on chain, and I kind of feel that Olympus is something like Bitcoin in this regard. It's like asset-centric product. Like people care about the asset, they care about the own, they care about its supply, its dynamics. But there are a lot, of, lot more things you can actually do with the asset, or, or like how you can play with it um, when you compare it to Bitcoin. Like with Bitcoin, you can't really do that much. You can just watch number go up and down, maybe mine it, um, but you cannot really change much. But here you you are you know as a community I mean not you as a person but as a community you can actually like keep influencing it using all these mechanics uh, of the protocol being this decentralized central bank you can influence a lot of stuff to kind of achieve various goals and I, I find it incredibly like interesting playful and uh, worthy of further experimentation to have this asset driven project that is all about one asset on. But having all these tools to influence the asset. Oh, I love that. That's a that's an awesome description. And one thing you said, basically the same thing Josh said when we were first talking about it, and that really uh, drew me to the project, which is like Ohm is a grand experiment, and it's one that can really only take place in crypto at this time. And I love that. I'm always more interested in the protocols that are pushing the boundaries, that are trying these types of big experiments. That's that's the opportunity I see us having here in DeFi. Now, let's talk about the bootstrapping phase and this kind of genesis phase that both of you have, have talked a little bit about. So I like the idea of getting rich. Uh, can you guys break down how this staking and bonding and kind of the interplay uh, between them could get us rich and is important to the protocol and, and kind of how those mechanisms are working? Do you want to start off again, Ja? Yeah, the, the idea right now is for the protocol to bring in as much profit as possible. And they do that by uh, selling bonds. And the idea is to bring in uh, DAI and Ohm DAI LP into the treasury. Um, and each DAI worth of value can be used to mint or, or back the minting of new Ohm. Um, and the profit is split 90% between stakers and uh, the DAO. And so as a staker, 3-3, all you got to do is buy some ohm, stake it in, uh, in the protocol, and you will earn your pro rata share of 90% of all the profit that the protocol is bringing in. The idea here is that you will maintain, for the most part, your proportional ownership of the market cap um, as the protocol expands, and that that's it on a very basic level. The the bond the interplay between bonds and and staking is really interesting, right? In that 
Um, bond, it does two things. Bonds are a way to bring in profit, but through the bonding of LP, uh, it's, it's a way to, in perpetuity, lock liquidity. That's really key because the, the price is going to be very volatile. And in order to generate profit by selling OM into the market through die bonds, you need there to be thick liquidity um, so that the protocol is not putting too much sell pressure uh, on, on the price of OM itself. And so you have this really nice interplay where the protocol can, um, through um, certain variables, control the availability of LP bonds to lock liquidity. And then when that's efficient, they can ramp up selling die bonds to increase profits. And all along, the stakers are just chilling out and earning their rata share of the profits. Yeah, I will, I will zoom out uh, once again. Um, when, we compare, when we compare to Bitcoin, right? Um, in Bitcoin, there is no such thing as protocol controlled value. There is nothing that Bitcoin as the entity controls. It's just like code base, right? Nodes run. Um, but when you, um, when you kind of uh, look at the power dynamics in Bitcoin, there are all these entities like miner, big exchanges, holders who uh, have a lot of early, early BTC, uh, these big whales, and they can trade and make markets and uh, pump and dump and do ca- all kinds of stuff. And they are, you know, I mean, in theory, if there are a couple of huge whales uh, in Bitcoin, they can, they can uh, like affect uh, Bitcoin a lot. So what Olympus DAO tries to achieve is to be the biggest whale in the game. So this protocol is the, the biggest whale that you know, has more power than all the other actors in the game combined. And this is actually what central banks achieve with their currencies as well, right? They, they become the biggest whales that have the most power over their currencies. And usually that you know, means that they can try to achieve different goals and nobody can really uh, do anything about it. You know, there are some examples of this failing like uh, Soros versus GPP, right? Uh, but uh, usually, you know, this is what happens. And you, you kind of, if you want to be the biggest whale and, and like become this kind of thing out of, out of nowhere, out of nothing, you need two things. You need reserves, you need some other assets that you can use, some extrinsic asset you can use to, to kind of uh, um, influence your, your new asset you are creating, your currency. Uh, and then you need some backers who will give you this reserve asset, who will start giving it to you. And for that, you need to give them something in return. So here you are taking 10% of their value from them. You are giving them the rest back over time. But, you know, they are also getting this upside, um, which should be big enough to justify the risk and their attention. Because what you also want is to attract attention of people um, to, to form this new entity. Because, you know, at the beginning, you are just a couple of developers. You are Zeus and maybe Fisk, um, maybe some other guys who just start. But you want to really make it uh, into a movement. And for the movement, you need some ideology behind it, some vision, but also some upside because we are playing with money and finances. And like, you know, the big money won't come just you know, to hear you talk. They come because they want to see the upside. And bootstrapping phase is all about that. And you have like two kinds of upside uh, or like, two kinds of uh, two ways how to achieve the upside. You can simply stake, which is the easy thing to do. You just buy uh, buy OM, which creates a like buy pressure on the market, and then you stake it, which uh, removes it from the from the circulation. And then you can have bonding, which kind of kind of increases complexity a bit, but also gives you more conservative way to scale in in OM over time with with a discount. Uh, but you need to bet on on price of like OM not falling uh, below your your discount level, which you which you uh, agreed on. So 
the bootstrapping phase is just about this, about like creating the biggest whale in the game, which is the Olympus DAO itself, and motivating the actors to to want this whale to exist and to and to help it into creation. So we are sort of summoning the demon here. This is why I was glad I, I got to have both of you on the podcast because this the zoom in, zoom out approach is really working for me here. We talked about how the bootstrapping works and basically what's being built here and what makes it attractive. Can we talk about something Ja brings up a lot, which is how Olympus can be seen in a way as a microcosm for crypto and DeFi. Ja, do you want to expand on this idea and how you see Olympus really as a microcosm for DeFi and a good uh, example of it? Yeah, I think a lot of it it goes back to the comparisons that we've been making uh, to Bitcoin, right? Is that 15 years ago, some people were thinking about it, but it hadn't caught the attention of the world, at least, um, the idea of of a non-sovereign or extra-sovereign currency. Uh, this is this is attempting a new like a, this is a new take on that. Um, but just just beyond that that bold vision, I think that it's pretty daring uh, to try to get people to um, not basically denominate their their lives in, in this new um, algo stable. Um, and, and just just the way that you know the story we heard from um, from Piscante is about how this anon developer you know slid into his DMs with an idea. Um, was able to get it backed, right? Build this this like huge grassroots, like like just absolutely vibrant community. Um, I, I think that's one aspect of it that I think is is definitely like re- reflective of, of the space as a whole. But then beyond that, I think it's so like, it's it's just an awesome like place to um, experiment with these uh, what, I'll, what I'll endearingly call uh, like uh, iterative ponzinomics, um, which you you can never do in the real world, and it's just native to this space. Um, just you know the, the the economics of the protocol, the way that uh, the protocol and the team and the community have iterated on different aspects of that over time. Um, even you know in the, in, in the last nine weeks that the protocol or whatever it is, twelve weeks the protocol has been around, um, has just been awesome to watch. Well, and, and one more thing about like you know creating a currency it's that uh, when you are a nation state, you basically say like this currency is legal tender on my territory. You know I will enforce it with police and army, and that's it, right? You can't really do that in crypto. You can't really force anyone to use it. So what you need to do is kind of create this um, maybe elaborate scheme to kind of attract people in to give them some vision and to give them a way to to benefit um, like financially. And then kind of, you know, try to spin the flywheel of reflexivity um, from basically almost a zero um, to, uh, to a point where people actually care about this thing. They care about owning it. And then, you know, the next phase, the expansion phase, which is already in the workings, is that, you know, we have this like microcosm, you know, but it's pretty circular. You know, we can play with bonds. We can kind of buy and sell on. We can stake it. Maybe we will be able to lock it soon enough. So, you know, we will have... A, more rewards, but it's like, you know, it's like self-referential. Um, and then the next phase, the expansion phase is like where we kind of try to, from our own little planet, which is like, you know, uh, very simple, we will try to expand uh, into other planets, into other states, uh, create colonies, you know, uh, be an asset that other projects will use and, and like integrate, um, be an asset that, you know, some uh, other assets will be quoted against, you know, there will be liquidity pairs, um, liquidity pools uh, with OM. And then, you know, the reflexivity is getting stronger and stronger. OM is like 
more liquid in different uh, areas. There is more extrinsic demand uh, for OM, be it from arbitrageurs or, or speculators or just someone who, who wants to earn like uh, fees in liquidity pools. And all these things kind of strengthen the the notion that you know the OM is asset that's like not easily uh, broken uh, into like back into its uh, uh, its components, right? Uh, because at this point you could still let's say kind of um, maybe in theory you could say like let's break it down, let's like return the die and, and all the protocol controlled value to to OM holders and let's call it a day. But once we once we get into stage where like there are a lot of different OM holders with a lot of different agendas and reasons why they hold and use OM, then we are starting to see, you know, the first uh, the first extrinsic use cases and the feedback loop grows bigger and it can be bigger than Olympus DAO itself. Like in a sense that you can we cannot really unwind it so easily because there are so many different parties with so many different agendas that they want to continue holding it for different reasons. Um, so so that's that's something that 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 will be important, I guess, in the next like maybe six months to one to two years to achieve. Right. I like that idea. Just building adoption so much that it can't be unwound anymore, basically. And one of the things you said, you know, I like that. That basically a nation creates a currency and they got an army and territory, and so you got to use that there. Um, in DeFi, we don't have that. What we do have, though is community and memes. Now, uh, Fisk, if I'm not mistaken, you did a whole presentation on memes uh, at the uh, Olympus event. Do you want to talk about basically what you've seen in the Olympus community, um, what you've liked, and uh, how you see memes playing a part in Olympus and just the crypto space in general? Yeah, I mean, memes, uh, a lot of people, when they hear this word, they, they just you know discard it as this kind of... Uh, joke that travels on the internet is viral because it's funny and people relate to it and this is not really what meme is meme is any idea that can go viral that kind of speaks to a community of people or some group of people or even like the whole humanity and conveys some message which uh, uh, in written form this message could be quite complex but in like this uh, visual form be the picture or a short video it can convey a lot of nuanced uh, data uh, pretty easily, also tapping into emotions. And when you go one step further, you can also make it into a sort of a coordination tool or some or some uh, system of of norms that that like give us some guidance how to behave. And the system of norms can unify us around some common goal, some common vision, some common um, ideal, let's say, and and like push us forward despite despite not every member of, of this like unified group knowing exactly all the nitty-gritty and all the details of, of what's happening. Like Tree Tree is probably the best example. Like people are when they see it on Twitter, they just ask, what does it mean tree tree? And someone just explains, you know, it's the game theory behind staking. And you know, when when we all stake, we basically um, share common upside, which is you know the the biggest payout for all of us. And you don't need to go into details like how Olympus DAO works under the hood. You just say this, and uh, some people already start to stake, and and they are getting more and more diamond-handed just because of this meme, and they see it everywhere. And and the more they see it, the, the stronger it gets. So so yeah, so it kind of it it replaces this army a bit. But not in the sense that if you break the, the rule, you will be punished. But in the sense that, you know, if you are, uh, you know, behaving according to this, like, 
this ideal which is conveyed in this meme. You are a part of our group, you are part of the community, uh, you can grow with us. If you don't behave according to this, you are basically an outcast from this group. And, you know, that's, that's something that m many people don't want, right? Some, some people are actually in the community or in crypto because they feel a sense of belonging. This is actually something with, which I pondered recently with my uh, friend uh, from poker. Like poker players are usually like pretty misfits, like misfit types. Um, they usually don't have a job. They don't have any real world skills. They basically played poker all their teenage years online, sitting at home, clicking buttons. And now crypto is like, you know, poker is not really as profitable anymore. And crypto is like their second chance to actually continue doing something similar, uh, a remedy, you know, without needing to go to regular work. And they kind of want to belong somewhere. And they, you know, they sometimes are aligned with the long-term goals of crypto, not because they maybe necessarily believe that, you know, Bitcoin is here to overthrow banks, but because there is this community they feel they belong into, um, which they felt in poker, and they are afraid that without it, they would just be, you know, lost in a, in a real world. So I, I feel a lot of people in crypto are like this. Um, and this, these memes that they share, it kind of creates this subconscious subconscious story uh, which which is like shared among all these all these needs or basement dwelling like frogs right and they actually want i mean we all enjoy it and it's fun but i think that mo many of us are actually taking it very seriously under the surface and we we don't want to break the break the story or, or break the meme by like like quitting everything and going back elsewhere so i think like om or olympus is it's a microcosm that kind of propels this feeling, even the way how the community behaves, how it is. I would say it's, it's even like much better than most of the other crypto communities. It kind of makes you, you know, it makes you stick to it. You don't want to leave the community. So you, even though you may sell some of your own, but you still want to keep some, you know, what if, and I still want to be part of the elite club. So I won't sell all my own. And it's very, it's very powerful when, you know, when, when, when it starts to get big enough and when the flywheel is turning faster and faster, it sucks more people in and, and less people fall out of the circle. And then you have a movement and then you have a sort of a digital protonation of sorts. If I could just jump in, I'm, I'm interested in, in your opinion of like how effective you think 3.3 has been to date. Uh, it sounds like you think that it has been pretty effective. Yeah, I, 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 there is no way how to really measure it, or maybe there is, but I don't know it. Um, but I would say it's one of the best memes, the best memes I, I, I've seen in crypto, uh, apart from something like HODL or what else is there, like this mainstream Bitcoin meme, um, maybe ultrasound money when it comes to it. Um, but I think that 3.3, you know, given how small the project is and how like, you know how how young it is and how niche and fringe it still is. You know there are many people on Twitter who have it in their nickname, and I have a couple of people like asking me every week, like what does it mean, and I just you know point them to the articles, and some of them are you know are interested enough to join. So I would say like it's in if if we have like memes. Uh, sorted by uh, efficiency from like some random memes that you know people try to spin and they never do anything uh, to like memes that are actually super efficient in coordinating large numbers of uh, of holders or, or investors or, or users or fans 
Um, I would say that at this point, it's still super early, but 3.3 is at least 8 out of 10 when it comes to efficiency. I, I like that score. Yeah, my, my, my thing is that I, I think that in terms of drawing people in, um, just just in terms of you know what is three three, it, it's an excellent. It does an excellent job of, of drawing people to the community. I think that ironically, the super high APYs have worked against three three. And, and for, for people that don't know, right, the APYs are born out of um, a compounding uh, a rebase every eight hours. Um, you know, it's right, right around 0.6 to 0.65% that adds up today to 100,000%. And the, the, it ends up being so great that I think there has been some trouble of people living off of the rebases. So in a way, like <laughs> what was supposed to lock people in once they, once they learn about 3.3 is actually um, having somewhat of, of the opposite effect. Um, but what's cool is that you know you're iterating on that, and, and the protocol is iterating and, and figuring out ways uh, to improve that. And I think that um, again, it's only in two and a half to three months um, that uh, that's going to be worked out. Well, I believe that for any um, any good decentralized, community-driven crypto project, what you need to do first or very early on is to make random community members who are not VCs, who are not like core developers or, you know, contributors of any sort, just like random people who just stumbled upon your project, you, you need to make them rich. Not like all of them and not like super rich, but there needs to be a reasonable amount of uh, um, community members who are early, who are just, you know, uh, sneaking around your Discord. And if they grab their chance, they, they need to have a reasonable chance of, of making it, like meaning, I don't know, Maybe there are someone who just has like 5K dollars in, in crypto and they put 2K into, into your project. And there needs to be a reasonable chance in a reasonably uh, short amount of time for them to make it at least into, I don't know, 50K or something like that. So they have some sort of a uh, starter pack capital for crypto that actually uh, you know, is meaningful for them. Um, and I think that a couple of projects manage that and most of them or all of them are doing like extremely well. Uh, probably the best example is Chainlink with its uh, uh, 4chan, um, you know, uh, 4chan background. A lot of uh, people on 4chan uh, got uh, to link white paper early, and you know they were sharing it on 4chan on on uh, slash beast channel. And some of them were like diamond uh, hand enough to hand it enough to hold it uh, until now. Some of them actually, you know, got pretty rich just because of Chainlink, they don't even hold any other token. And they became the most like fierce warriors for the Chainlink cause. And um, it, despite all the flaws that Chainlink might have, this is, some, this is probably their biggest asset. And, you know, they, they managed to make it into multi-billion dollar uh, projects. I would say that this is one of the biggest reason, reasons of their success. And on the other hand, you have these projects with sort of like uh, BC, four BC rounds without uh, any community involvement. And then, you know, then, then the project like this, I mean, it can succeed, but it needs to be very product driven. It needs to make a very good product early on that people start using and like try to spin the flywheel this way. Whereas when you, when you have this kind of community driven project that achieved to make a number of people rich early enough, these people usually, not all of them, but some of them get very loyal that will start helping, that will start attracting more people in. They will start to spin the flywheel with you and you have much better chance of succeeding 
So this is something that Olympus managed to do very well as well with their like Discord uh, pre-sale, I would say. Um, and yeah, for, for this reason, you know, Tree Tree is so powerful. If if some other project, I don't want to name names, but if some VC-backed project with no uh, grassroots community from day zero started to propel the Tree Tree meme, uh, I mean, it wouldn't work, right? It would be a pushed narrative. It would be cringe at best, and you know. Um, People would just maybe some like some holders would take it seriously, but most of the time people would just laugh it off. Um, so it, it, this can only work well if you have this uh, uh, if you have this early uh, get rich people who really made it and you know they can propel it forward. And of course it's volatile. I mean, still people will some some people will especially during bear market they will you know dump everything because you know they will get scared and maybe the project will come you know to to a point where you know, almost all the token holders will will be replaced with new ones. You know, there will be dump. Some people will be dumping at the bottom. Some others will pick it up and continue. You know, but the ethos of the community-driven project will already be set, even if the old community members leave. This is what actually happened with Synthetics, which was like you know, it was an ICO from 2018, and then there was this huge bear market, and like they they had pretty good community early on, but a lot of the Community members got disillusioned and they left. But you know the the course of the course of the project was already community driven. There was a lot of ethos to discuss everything with community. So new people were able to come in and buy the exact bottom of of uh, SNX, um, and they became the you know the new community. Of course, some some core members and some like diehard fans st uh, stayed there. You know, but but it was it wasn't about any particular community member. It was about the spirit that you know these people had a chance to make it from the exact bottom, um, which is important. So I mean, having such a high APY without any lockups, I mean, it's not the best design choice, I would say. And I think we will see some changes in the near future. But uh, having people like being able to sustain themselves, just focusing on OM, not trying to find other opportunities out there, but focusing on this one thing, I think it's like it's unprecedented for at least last year or so yeah and i love what you're talking about in terms of uh just community first projects i know all of my favorite projects really and the ones where i love to be in the discord the most um like alchemix like ohm like board ape yacht club they were really community driven projects first there wasn't like you're saying some huge like vc sale it started with the community and it just creates an atmosphere, especially when memes come into play and uh, everyone's having a good time in the Discord. It creates an atmosphere of like a, a genuine community, even though it is online. Or in Ohm's case, I would say even even like a cult uh, in, in the best of way. I say that affectionately. And so, yeah, I, I definitely agree with with a ton of what you're saying there. It's, it's something that uh, really attracts me to DeFi and that keeps me here is is how people from around the world are able to come together and build this awesome stuff. When it's community-driven, people are able and want to contribute in whatever ways they can, whether that be devving, whether that be creating memes like you're talking about, whether it be writing, you know, creating content, whatever. Um, it's, really, it's really fun to see when projects are like that. Now let's quickly here talk about what are some of the risks of uh, Olympus? What are... What are some possible like pitfalls? What happens maybe if the price of Ohm falls too fast? Ja, do you want to start out here? Sure. I, I mean, 
I think we've seen the price uh, fall pretty quickly, um, you know, in recent weeks. Um, I, I don't know if I would necessarily describe that as a pitfall. Obviously, the way the protocol brings in re- uh, revenues is in the differential between the market price and, and the backing. But, um, you know, the premium is still uh, pretty high and, and still bringing in a good amount of revenue. So um, it, it takes longer when the price to grow the treasury when the price is lower, but it's not a death knell by any means. Um, are, are you looking more for like, you know, long-term pitfalls, uh, you know, like what would be helpful? I would just ask what areas do you see um, possible struggles for the protocol moving forward or, or uh, maybe things community members should keep an eye on, something like that? Listen, I think long term, right? I have described it, and you mentioned as as a grand experiment, right? And so, are the odds very high that the crypto world or, or the DeFi world are going to begin to denominate their wealth long term in you know, a non-pegged algo stable? I think like that's kind of like the gating factor here. Is it probably it's 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 a long putt, right? I think that's. That's that's the uh, I think the largest hurdle facing facing the protocol. Um, I think beyond that, yeah, I think it is it is you know you know negative three negative three the price falling um, too quickly such that the protocol can't grow quickly people lose interest heaven forbid the price gets close to backing or below backing and even that you know that that would make it really difficult for for the project to grow but again not a death knell I think you know we didn't describe this earlier but. Should the mechanism, um, should the price fall below intrinsic values that the protocol can buy back every home in existence to get it back up to backing and start the flywheel over again? So um, that just will prolong the process a little bit. But I think, um, I don't know if I want to use the word anti-fragile, but it's, um, it has a lot of flexibility, even even in a, in a bear market. And maybe a bear market could could even provide a good cover for the protocol to grow with less volatility. Just put her, put that, put their heads down and grow. I mean, there are like obvious bear cases, like a huge uh, contract exploit that would suck out all the capital out of uh, out of Olympus, and that would be pretty hard to deal with, right? And then there is this like slow death uh, by lack of uh, lack of attention. Um, I, I I have this uh, term uh, tongue in cheek uh, that we are living in a post value society where the the most valuable thing is not some like hard capital or some numbers on the screen, but you know human attention. So as long as Olympus manages to capture attention of enough people that care about it and try to play with it and do something with it, it cannot really be killed. Like even if this current model with with bonds and everything wasn't really the best way how to bootstrap this new currency into into adoption, I'm pretty sure that you know guys like Zeus. Um, you know, he spends like 16 hours a day thinking about this stuff. Uh, so I'm pretty sure that betting just on him figuring it out along the way is a, is a pretty good bet somehow. So even if then Olympus was forced to be pegged to something in extrinsic, I don't know what, but something, you know, there are a lot of things that such flexible DAO can actually do and, and change about its design. When you compare it again to Bitcoin, Bitcoin is like, you know, 21 million coins, proof of work, and that's it. And you know, it's very hard to change, so it may even, it may even like not completely die, but it, it can become niche just because of this inflexibility. While Olympus DAO is just peak flexibility when it comes to currency. It, it has multiple goals. One is to bootstrap, the second is to expand, and the third is to be stable. Um, and it needs to kind of 
you know, go through them one by one, but it can like redefine how it will get there or, or what the goals should be in detail. In this sense, it's very hard to kill. Uh, also, when you when you when you consider the fact that Om, uh, sorry, Olympus is actually now the the biggest or one of the biggest players in the Om ecosystem, right? It's even if all the people left and just Zeus remained, you know, he's still with the DAO. He still controls a considerable amount of capital that can be deployed somehow. So, I mean, the, the bear case is really just, you know, maybe people not caring enough about these experiments. Maybe, you know, something much better coming along and just winning the market pretty quickly. And uh, Olympus being like fringe playground for like crazy economic experiments forever. Maybe we'll see, I don't know. Stable coins, uh, the large pack stable coins being good enough forever. Maybe central banks will do, will do some new sort of stable currency that will be good enough, so it will get mainstream adoption, and and OM will remain super neat, super like indie playground for economists and, and, and guys like us. I don't know. I mean, the upside is is so great here, and and the and the intellectual challenges are so interesting that for me, I don't even care about the risks too much. I mean, I'm definitely not all in OM, but you know, my my stack is considerable, I would say, and I actually don't even. I mean, I should stake my OM more often, as a, as, a, as I kind of have it some sometimes not staked, but I, I tend to forget about it because I don't even I don't even care about you know the the APY that much as I care about like just being part of it, and and I actually sometimes you don't feel good that I let other people to uh, capture more APY uh, instead <laughs> of me because, you know, I, I want this. This is another challenge, actually. This is a good point that, you know, we need to, if, if this needs, if this can be a really widely used currency or like some stable asset, we need to make sure that the distribution of ownership over time kind of isn't too skewed toward, towards early and big players. Uh, I mean, they definitely need to be awarded for their risk, uh, but we need to kind of make sure that People don't feel like it's super unfair. Like you know, this it's it's partially meme, but this Gini coefficient of cryptocurrencies sometimes, you know, is bro- is brought up by some critics. And I think like distribution of of the currency into hands of as many people as possible uh, should be one of the goals. Of course, it shouldn't be forced. I don't think we should just uh, you know do airdrop to everyone who holds I don't know eat, but uh, we should do it in a way that. You know, OM finds its way into hands of those who care about it at least a bit. Uh, so they start to experiment with it, and then they maybe you know they they come to visit Discord and they they start to use it uh, for some maybe some super risky farms, and they then they realize that it's actually a cool thing to to be playing with, and they tell their friends. So we need we need to make sure this happens. So it so one thing is to have this close knit hardcore uh, super nice community. But the other thing is that we, at one point, we will need to transit the phase of uh, the phase of a, like a core community-driven project into something that is bigger than its own community, um, because you know, community. When you have a community, it's still somehow niche, and when the whole world uses it without like without thinking twice about it, it's not a community anymore. Like all the people who are using internet. We are not internet community anymore, right? Like, there are all kinds of people with all kinds of goals, agendas, ideals. So the ultimate last challenge will be to outgrow the community phase and, and become something bigger than, than like community-driven project. I like that a lot. And in terms of this wide distribution, which I agree is important for not only OM, but I think a lot of protocols, um, if they can achieve this. Uh, and going back to what Ja said, 
you know, maybe if we did go to a bear market, that would help with this distribution and, and this experimentation, like you're saying, where people find the protocol and start to play with it. And it's not just like people aping in because they want a quick flip, but because they find the memes attractive, they enjoy the community, uh, they see the kind of experiment it is and just organically it growing like that. So I, I think that's an interesting and, and smart um, bear case for Olympus. What would you guys say do you see as the like future plans or future outlook of the protocol? And I've been lucky enough to be in the Discord when when Zeus is really going off and and dropping these like crazy, ambitious, awesome, brilliant plans. Um, and it's a lot of fun to be there when he's talking about that stuff. We've talked a little bit about this already, but um, if you guys want to build on this at all, um, and maybe even some short-term or long-term pieces that we see uh, as the future of the protocol. I mean, I'm really excited about some of the partnerships um, that are in the works that kicked around the Discord and, and the DAO server, which we haven't even talked about, the DAO server and how cool that is about people pitching into the protocol. Um, but I think, you know, uh, to get the flywheel started of getting Ohm out there, um, providing utility to the token, um, whether that be um, as part of uh, liquidity pairs um, or other, other use cases, um, to start providing value or mutual value um, to other protocols. I'm really excited about that um, in the short term. Um, I don't want to jump the gun on, on talking about any of them right now, but it's uh, pretty exciting to work on, on some of those. Yeah, to add to that, um, I'm, I'm looking forward to see more diverse um, you know, uh, roster of assets in the, in the reserve asset pool or protocol control value. Right now it's DAI and we will add FRAX. Um, FRAX is also backed by USDT for the most part. So the thing I talked about at the beginning, like how holding uh, dollar pack stable coins is like asymmetric bet on the wrong side, you know, with asymmetric risk and, and like not really that much upside. It kind of holds true for, for Olympus. I mean, I'm not as scared about stable coins as I was before because they kind of, some of them proved the test of time um, for some time. So there is a, some, some sort of a Lindy around them in the effect, but it's still not given that, you know, some regulator crackdown is not coming for them and there will be maybe some issues and like systemic risks across all the DeFi. So I would say that we need to, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of, it's technically kind of challenging to do it, but I think we should like diversify the, the reserve asset pool um, into assets that are much harder to attack by some like entities or maybe uh, assets that are less malleable. Um, even something like wrapped Bitcoin is not a great example because it's like custodian and you know there can be some problems there. So, so this is also something I would say that that Olympus needs to improve and and will improve over time. There are plans to do that, but it's it's kind of challenging and it also introduces added complexity. You know when uh, Olympus starts to be more volatile or the protocol control value starts to be more volatile because there are volatile assets. However, you know, it's, it's similar with, with central banks, right? Like every central bank on the, uh, like on the planet holds different kinds of assets, be it gold, uh, be it uh, foreign currencies. Uh, so, yeah, so I, I mean, Olympus should like follow. So, so what are some, start diversifying what are some of the ideal assets that you see um, as backing? Is that, um, you know, 
algo stables that are that don't have that regulatory risk that you know maybe productive algo stables or is it something like ETH would be optimal in your mind? Yeah, I, I think that from the other algo stables like Frax is great and I think you know these guys are, are going places as well. Um, so it's a good start definitely and it's still stable so it isn't as, as uh, complicated as some other stuff. Um, but in general, I would I don't think there are many other algo stable coins that we should embrace because then it's like Olympus has some complexities on top of it, and these other algo stable coins also have some complexities. So it's kind of hard to uh, hard to manage the risk. Um, I would say that like the for me the lowest hanging fruit, if we kind of uh, can embrace that volatility, would be to add it or potentially uh, STEAT, uh, meaning staked uh, ETH, uh, which is like propelled by Lido Finance, which would all actually give another another like income to, to Olympus DAO. There are some other risks because it's ETH 2.0, you know, but uh, Lido wants to decentralize uh, staking derivatives uh, and they are the biggest protocol out there. So maybe, maybe it's something either like naked eat or staked eat that that uh, gives you like six to eight percent yield would be kind of cool. And yeah, de- yeah, definitely Bitcoin. If there was a like some censorship resistant way to do it, like I'm not sure if yeah. Right, that that kind of fits the, the an ideal backing of the gold to the dollar. If if, if we believe mm-hmm. Bitcoin is is digital gold in this analogy. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely agree on on the on yielding assets, um, especially if you can have Steve as opposed to ETH. Just another way to bring in revenue um, while it sits in the treasury uh, would be ideal. Awesome. Now, we have had one or two of the craziest weeks in crypto. I don't want to say ever because I haven't been around that long, but pretty some pretty crazy weeks. Let's step to, to the side in terms of Ohm for a second here. I want to hear, Fisk, where do you think we are in the market in general right now? Are you a Suzuanite like I am? Are you a believer in the super cycle? Uh, what, what do you think about what's going on um, in the market currently? Um, like I, I love Suzu and uh, super cycle is a great meme. I'm, I'm not sure, you know, if, if you define it broad enough, it will always be a super cycle. Like if you, if you, you know, if you view Bitcoin chart from 2010, it's one big super cycle with, with uh, like booms and busts. And, uh, you know, it's it just... It just goes up with with a huge volatility, and I think that this will continue. Uh, I had this thesis that uh, that after 2018 bust, we will see much slower but gradual uh, uptrend for like I don't know a decade, something similar to what happened to uh, dot com stocks after 2001 or two bubble crashed. You know, we we have seen these stocks just you know gradually growing over the like 20 year period with, with some hiccups, of course, but like. No other huge bubble happened. So I thought that maybe crypto will be similar, you know, huge bubble, inflated expectations, and then like gradually like growing. This, I don't think it will happen anymore. I think like crypto is very different market to stocks. Um, also, if you see the history of like, like Bitcoin price, uh, you will see there are many, many bubbles and each is order of magnitude bigger than the last one. And this is just how, how like this, uh, market, this open, unregul- unregulated, volatile market will work. Um, that being said, I don't think that at this point we will see another three-year uh, like winter. I think it's much less likely. Uh, one reason is that you know the market structure is much better, the narrative is much stronger, there are a lot more 
traditional institutions going into space. And I mean, these guys, some of them will definitely get spooked by volatility, but you know, they are not here for the first time. You know, they, they are eyeing the space from 2017, so they should be prepared for that. And the other thing is that some of these players, they really want to buy investments at discounts, right? So smart whales and smart money who are preparing to get into crypto, they were waiting for this moment. And some of them actually, I believe, loaded up. A lot of, lot of people who got scared, they basically sold their volatile assets to stablecoins and they are now using it to farm uh, to farm some yield. So they are not escaping altogether from the space. They are not withdrawing to bank accounts because what will you do with dollars in your bank account? You will just, you know, either spend it on something, everything is overpriced these days, or you just, you know, just yield like 0.1% a year or something. So you basically stay in, in, in DeFi, you, you farm, and you are waiting for another entry or you know, waiting for some good opportunity, which is maybe a bit more risky than just holding stablecoin. Maybe it is some sort of a liquidity pool with stablecoin pair, and then you know you you are earning more, and then you scale back in. So yeah, I, I actually believe that. I mean, I don't know what will happen. I don't have a crystal ball, but my money is on like slower recovery for like three to twelve months from here, and then like the party will start again. Maybe it will won't be as insane but will, maybe it will be even more insane than what we saw i don't know but i would say that we have we have some some cool down period i actually hope we do because i'm really tired of this bull market um but i don't really believe that we have another three years of just you know um eating stale bread and and drinking uh brown water well my bags are are happy to hear that uh ja do you have uh, any thoughts or anything to add here Oh, I don't know if I have any real uh, insight into the market. You know, I, I, you know, my sense is maybe I can be a good proxy, you know, for the traditional finance world, you know, coming in and the institutions coming in. And yeah, I, I do believe that we're not going to, like, similarly not going to see that drawdown because the smart money is not to call myself smart money, um, but <laughs> I've the seen smart the money is coming. Make. Please <laughs> don't call yourself smart money. Yeah, no, I'm just yeah exactly. Um, they're coming. They're eyeing the space at the very least. Um, and like Visconti said, uh, you know, they're, 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 they're beginning to form their theses and they're going to be buying and they want to buy, uh, at low prices. Um, and so they're not, I don't think that we're going to see that long of a drawdown. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like, uh, basically what both of you said. I think another difference here is that because of DeFi, like real protocols exist now it's not just like the smoke and mirrors of the ico we have real cash flows now we have protocols that have survived big drawdowns like DeFi survived all of that and worked all of that while you know sexes were going down left and right i think that shows the resilience and i'm hoping you know for my sake <laughs> for me familia's sake that uh, <laughs> we don't just go down again for another three years just to wrap things up here our there are there any other things you guys want to talk about? Anything I might have missed? Any questions? Um, just maybe a personal, uh, personal thing of mine that I actually find myself getting a bit annoyed by short-termism a bit more than I than I used to. And now I, I still have this uh, poker player in me that wants to farm the shit out of everything and dump everything and exploit uh, uh, every like inefficiency on the market and arp the shit out of everything. And just leave and, and just have my have my PNL green, but it's kind of this this side of me gets weaker, and the side of me that wants to build and kind of see something uh, succeed over the long run, uh, despite the action of 
you know, despite my action not being the most EV plus for, for my portfolio, but you know, uh, being EV plus for the project, this is something that, that happens with a couple of projects I'm, I'm more focused on. One of them is Olympus and the example I, I told you that I don't really maximize my, maximize my APY as I, as I could, just because I kind of care more about the long-term success of the project. So this is something that, I mean, some of the players in the space, some of the OGs are getting fatigued and, and tired and disillusioned, you know, by all these Ponzi's because, you know, they participate in all of them. And after a time, you know, you have like 100 copycat of Yearn and, you know, another yield aggregator, another pool to uh, scheme without any substance in it. And you get tired of it. And, you know, sometimes you kind of get so sour that you leave the space um, and you like basically sell everything to stable coins or you just keep it and Bitcoin and you, you become passive. But sometimes you kind of want to want to be in touch with the space, but in a more like healthy way and kind of start to focus on things that you believe in long term and gives you some, some deeper meaning. And I think that some of these OG, some of these DeFi farmers that made a killing in, in last year, maybe some of them will transform into more long-term oriented thinkers and investors who will who will like try to give back and try to build what's meaningful for them. Um, so, so this is a little bit of hope from my end that we, we, because I, I saw a lot of salt and a lot of uh, disillusionment in, uh, in Twitter from OGs I respect actually sometimes. Uh, I saw them really tired of all this. So I just hope that some of them will find a way to, uh, to a bit of a deeper, uh, deeper meaning and satisfaction in all this. I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, the other thing about the bull run is, like you were saying, it's also exhausting, right? Like, there's a new farm every day. There's a new protocol dropping every day. There's some. There's always something new to ape into, and it can get to be a lot. And in a bull run, like the Ponzi's, almost do better sometimes, which I I imagine could could annoy OGs, uh, especially it annoys me, and uh, I'm not even you know an OG in in the real sense. So that definitely makes sense. And I think it, that's a healthier way to think about it, right? Because when you're investing in something you get, care about, you give a shit about long term, and you're a part of that community, it's it feels more organic and and more uh, you have a more of a connection rather than just like just endlessly trying to just make money or increase number number go up. Also, what I like about Olympus is uh, actually like the narrative around this super high APY. I mean, I don't think you know it's. Like super important that it's 100k or something like that but i think at one point in time it was very important that, that olympus was the highest yielding thing out there for a long time without any competitors and it was actually at least semi-sustainable so it you know you can you could project it uh, for a couple of months it wasn't just you know a couple of days of farming no and it's a bit of a trick right it kind of it replaces price upside with supply upside and it uh denominates the supply upside, the potential supply upside uh, in APY, you know, so it plays this, uh, this uh, compar- comparison game with all the other uh, yielding uh, protocols and Ponzi's uh, uh, or, or pool tools or whatever in DeFi. So I think that was also important that, I mean, you couldn't really find highest yielding thing for a long time in DeFi. I'm not even sure if you, if you can find it now, at least not for more than a couple of days. Uh, so that was something that was I mean, despite the fact that probably the, the super high APY we see is suboptimal and protocol could uh, live with much less APY pretty successfully, I kind of think that it was also important uh, 
from from point of view of attracting uh, you know attention to the project yeah yeah absolutely ja you have anything to uh add or you want to talk about before we sign off here oh god ja is dead uh on live stream well i guess it's not live stream it's a podcast uh yeah ja i apologize we cannot hear you all right we got a question from jala here for you fisk what in your aspirations does Olympus look like a year from now? Um, so a year from now, um, there are like every meaningful DeFi project out there, at least on Ethereum or maybe even elsewhere, uses OM as one of the assets. So I kind of envision the like in, in one year, like OM will be asset that people want to use for different use cases, not just for staking, but for uh, lending, for like uh, providing liquidity with other assets. So it's this like when you have, uh, there is this thesis of liquidity black hole. Um, uh, Andrew Kang coined it, I believe. And basically it means that like every AMM that will that will uh, reach escape velocity, like I don't know, Bancor or Torchain or Uniswap, becomes a liquidity black hole where a lot of liquidity is naturally driven to because the, you know everybody trades there. You know there is there are like there are a lot of liquidity pools. So in one year, I hope that OM will become this uh, asset black hole or liquidity black hole, but not represented by a decentralized exchange. But, but represented by an asset. You know, that there will be a lot of different things anchored to this asset. And there will be a lot of different uses for it um, within DeFi. I don't believe that we will in one year achieve like uh, any uh, serious stability, uh, like meaning that it will be uh, stable enough to, to be a stable coin per se. But I would say that we will be able to achieve this uh, um, extrinsic demand and adoption from other protocols so this this is this is what i would like um olympus to be and all to be in one year awesome i love that thank you so much again for joining us this was a real pleasure you were awesome about being able to break all this down for for me and i'm sure the listeners are going to love it now do you want to take a second to shill yourself where can people find you maybe your twitter anything else maybe you're working on that you want to uh drop um well not really i mean people can follow me on twitter fiscantes um i'm very active there because it's it brings me joy and fame and money (laughs) um but uh yeah i I, everything that i find interesting i basically you know retweet or tweet about um apart from olympus i'm pretty um pretty um curious about mev and uh um, flashbots and uh, think uh, called alchemist coin which is working with flashbots and tries to tries to create a gasless dex as a, as a front end for everyone to use to avoid front running and stuff like that this is what i find interesting as well but i mean i'm invested in a lot of other projects as well um i'm mostly excited and knowledgeable about DeFi, i would say um but i try to educate myself on other things like decentralized data storage uh, um, and like layer one trade-offs between different blockchains. Um, So all these things, I try to get 
more deeply into. Um, and I actually welcome, you know, this cool down period, which hopefully will happen so I can get more into uh, research and less into jumping from farm to farm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thank you so much again for coming on. Thank you for tuning in. Sweet, sweet, dear listeners. You can find me on Twitter at the rogue underscore Uchiha. You spell that U-C-H-I-H-A. I am always doing quite a bit of shit posting with a little bit of alpha leaks here and there. You can find us Yunt Capital on Twitter at Yunt Capital. Again, a lot of shit posting, a little bit of alpha, enough that'll wet your whistle, that'll keep you coming back for more. And you can find our Yunt Chef Jala at Yunt Chef. Thank you so much again for tuning in. And now a word from our sponsor. Have you ever slept through a crypto crash? Have you ever woken up to your portfolio being down 50, 70, maybe even 99%? Well, you wouldn't be the first nor the last. That's why the geniuses over at Portfolio Shocker created a product that'll save us all from slumber. That is a portfolio shocker. What this does is it's a device you put around your neck, similar to the ones dogs would wear, that uh, encourages them not to bark by giving them slight electric shocks each time they bark. In a similar way, Portfolio Shocker connects to your phone and your portfolio, and if things drop while you are asleep and you can set the number custom, it'll actually shock you awake. It is a revolutionary technology that'll make sure your losses are always in your hands. Now, they sent us in a customer testimonial. Let's play that now for you all. Don't take my word for it. Take his word for it. Jameis Johnson. My name's Jameson. I invested in the Doge after Elon tweeted it. Now, I ended up buying at the tippy top by accident. But I had the portfolio shocker that I bought from a week ago. I put it around my neck and wore it that night. He won on the uh, SNLs. And apparently they didn't like his jokes because it dropped like a rock. And I was dead asleep. But all of a sudden, I was awake as a bell at the foot of my bed wondering what in God's name had happened. Then I realized I was wearing my portfolio shocker, whipped out my laptop, connected to the internets, and found that Doge was down 15% already. Luckily, I was able to sell before it hit rock bottom. And let me just tell you, Portfolio Shocker, it saved my life. My wife's sister was about to divorce me if I lost any more money on the Doge. Thank you, Portfolio Shocker. You saved my marriage and my family. Well, you heard it here directly from the customer's If you would like a free portfolio shocker, they're running a promotion. Tweet at me. Tweet shock me, daddy, at the rogue Uchiha. That's right. Tweet at me. Shock me, daddy. And you will get a free portfolio shocker. Thank you so much again for listening. We are coming back next week with another amazing guest talking about one of my favorite protocols, I'm really excited for this interview. And then we're actually doing a follow-up Olympus interview, not with Fisk, but with another 
big name in the protocol. I can't I can't leak the alpha yet, but I am super excited. We have an all-star lineup. You're going to want to subscribe, rate, and stay tuned to the Yunt Capital channel. This has been Goodwill Yunting. And as always, Yunt hard, Yunt fast, Yunt Capital. Thank you for joining us. As a disclaimer, we likely have investments in protocols we talk about on the show. Please do your own research. None of this is financial advice. This is a volatile and new field.